Well, if you take uh, your Bibles and turn with me to Galatians chapter 1, and I'm going to read for us verses 6 to verse 9 of Galatians chapter 1. Um, in the church Bibles, that's page 1168, and the large print 1806, Galatians 1, verses 6 to 9. I am astonished that you are so quickly deserting the one who called you to live in the grace of Christ and are turning to a different gospel, which is really no gospel at all. Evidently, some people are throwing you into confusion and are trying to pervert the gospel of Christ. But even if we or an angel from heaven should preach a gospel other than the one we preach to you, let them be under God's curse. As we have already said, so now I say again, if anybody is preaching to you a gospel other than what you accepted, let them be under God's curse. This is God's word. And I've entitled this message, No Other Gospel. No other gospel. Last week in Galatians chapter 1 verses 3 to 5, Paul reminds the Galatians of the true gospel. We saw the ransom, the rescue, and the reason behind the gospel. We saw that Jesus Christ gave himself for our sins to rescue us from the present evil age according to the will of our God and Father to whom be glory forever and ever. Now when Paul writes letters to churches, almost always, and I would say actually always, he gives a gospel summary like that and gives grace and peace And then he always gives some kind of thanksgiving for the churches. So here's some examples. After each time Paul says grace and peace and explains the gospel, he says these kinds of things. In Romans, first, I thank my God through Jesus Christ for all of you because your faith is being reported all over the world. 1 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 4, I always thank my God for you because of his grace given you in Christ Jesus. Philippians 1, verse 3, I thank my God every time I remember you. Colossians chapter 1, verse 3, we always thank God the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ when we pray for you. The same thing happens in both the epistles to the Thessalonians. Paul gives a summary, short summary of the gospel or he gives grace and peace, and then he thanks God for this church. Notice the difference in Galatians. What is missing? Any kind of thanksgiving to God for these Christians. Normally, there is some kind of commendation. Here, there is consternation. 
Rather than giving any kind of thanks, he immediately hits them with the issue at hand, saying he is astonished at what they are doing. Why does Paul do this? Why doesn't he thank God for the Galatians? Does he not care about them? Well, to help us understand this, I want you to imagine a scenario with me. Imagine uh, you need to borrow from your neighbor over the road uh, a drill or uh, a pint of milk or some sugar or uh, hair straighteners or whatever it is you might want to borrow from your neighbor and you ring them. Now, when you ring your neighbor and you ask them to borrow something, you would normally begin with something like this. All right? Or how's your family? Or good to speak to you? Or something along those lines, unless you're strange and a bit blunt. But normally, we would give some kind of small talk before we dive in with, can I borrow the drill? Now, you genuinely do care about your neighbor's family. You want to know if they're all right, even though the main purpose of the call is to borrow something. If they were to start saying, you know what, actually, my family's not all right, this disaster's happened, you wouldn't then just say, oh, can I borrow the drill? You are interested, but the purpose of the call is to borrow something. But imagine another scenario. You're looking over the road, and you see in the living room of your neighbor's house a fire and it's starting to spread. And your neighbor, because for whatever reason you're up and it's one o'clock in the morning, is asleep in bed, and you ring them up. And the neighbor answers the phone. You're not going to say, you're right. (laughs) How's the family? How's it going? What are you going to do if there's a fire downstairs? You're going to shout to your neighbor, there's a fire! Get out the house! Call the fire brigade! You're going to be screaming and shouting at them to, to do something because of the urgency of this situation. Paul isn't unconcerned about the the Galatians. He, He doesn't never thank God for them. What's going on here is that the Galatian churches are, if you like, on fire. And there is a serious, urgent need for them to be grabbed for their attention. The issue here in Galatians is the gospel. Notice in the four verses, uh, in the five verses or four verses we read, the word gospel is there five times. Gospel, gospel, gospel. The word gospel means glad tidings or good news. And what Paul is talking of here is the gospel, that is the good news about Jesus that was proclaimed in verses 3 to 5, the good news of salvation from sin, the only way that we can be saved from the fire of hell that Jesus talked about. This is vitally important news. But the problem in the church in Galatia was that they were turning to a different gospel. They're turning to a different gospel, and so this is urgent. This is like the the fire in the living room when you are upstairs. This is deadly serious. And Paul begins in verses six, uh, at the beginning of verse six with this phrase, I am astonished. Uh, The word astonished means to to wonder and marvel at. It, It almost, I can't quite believe what I'm seeing. And it's not, sometimes we use that in a positive way. That, you know, when we say that was 
in a, an astonishing thing, but we also would use it in a negative way. Like, I, can't be, I, can't, I just can't believe what I'm seeing here. It was actually the reaction to some of Jesus' miracles in the Gospels. The same word was used. They, they, it, it was so uh, almost unbelievable, but it was real because they're seeing it with their eyes. And that's the kind of reaction Paul's having here. He's seeing what's going on, and he, he almost can't believe what he's seeing. And Paul is astonished at the fact that the Galatians, notice in verse 6, are so quickly deserting the one who called you to live in the grace of Christ. Now the word there, deserting, is a very strong word. It literally means a turncoat, a betrayer. And to to give you the kind of stomach-churning um, meaning behind this word, it's the equivalent of if you were to turn your news on tonight and you were to watch the news about Ukraine, it would be the equivalent of President Zelensky putting on a Russian uniform and killing Ukrainian troops. If you saw that, you would be astonished, wouldn't you? You, you, would be, you, you wouldn't believe what you were seeing with your eyes. That, that kind of turncoat, that betrayal, that desertion would take place. That's the kind of power behind the word here, desertion. It's a, a stomach-churning betrayal. In the Old Testament, it's how God described Israel when they turned on him to worship idols. It's that kind of sickening betrayal. And Paul's astonished that the Galatians are acting in this way. And what's so astonishing about this desertion is three things. First of all, it's the speed. The speed. Notice in verse 1, you, I'm astonished that you are so quickly deserting. It seems that Paul has not long left the churches in Galatia, and they're already deserting the one who has called them to live in the grace of Christ. Or it could be that these churches are, are young, the, 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 the converts are, are babes in Christ, they've just made commitments to follow Jesus, and now they're already they're turning away. And brothers and sisters, the devil is at work to destroy what the Holy Spirit is doing in people's lives, especially when they make commitments to him in some kind of way. So when we see people baptized, when we see new commitments to follow Jesus, when decisions are made in our lives to change sinful patterns of behavior, when young people go to camp and make commitments there, the devil's at work to snatch that away so that you do not do what God wants you to do. I mean, how often, I think about in, our, in, in your life, and I can think about it in my life, have you, have you made a decision for Christ and then it doesn't take long for it to just fade away? Have you had that experience? And sadly, we have seen people desert the gospel, haven't we, so soon? after committing to Jesus. So first of all, Paul's astonished at its speed. Secondly, he's astonished at who is being deserted. Look again at verse 6. 
you are so quickly deserting the one who called you. The one who called you is God himself. They're deserting the one who in verse uh, three, uh, verse 4 gave himself for our sins and rescued us. How can we desert the one who has died in our place for our sins, rescued us from the present evil age, given us eternal life? How can we desert him? But also he is the one who is the uh, God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ, the, the one who deserves glory forever and ever. He is God, the King over all. How can we desert him, the one who's done this for us, the one who is the King of Kings? Paul's astonished. How can you desert this one? And then thirdly, he's astonished at what is being deserted. Notice, deserting the one who called you to live in the grace of Christ. God has not called us to live a dead religion or a boring, rubbish, miserable life. God has called us to live in the grace of Christ. He's called us to the abundant life that Jesus speaks of. He's called us to a life as we are made by God to live. He has rescued us from our old life, given us a new life with, a, with the Holy Spirit living in us so we can live for him. Now think again at, at what we heard last week, this amazing gospel the, the, that we've been ransomed by Jesus, that he's rescued us, that it's for the glory of God. How, could we des- how, how can we desert that, Paul's saying? It's astonishing, isn't it? And if you think about it, isn't it astonishing that we, that we would even consider deserting Jesus for, for anything? But it's astonishing in one sense that we would desert Jesus, but what Paul also finally is astonished with is, is what they are turning to. You are, are turning, in, uh, notice, to a different gospel. And then beginning of verse 7, which is really no gospel at all. Now we're going to see that this, this different gospel was a lie. That gospel that was different and no gospel at all was that the, the, the Jewish false teachers saying that you need also to be circumcised and follow other Jewish laws to really be a Christian. That wasn't Paul's gospel. That was a, a different gospel that is no gospel at all. It was, uh, it, it was not good news. It's, it's fake good news. Paul's using the word gospel, but he doesn't mean the gospel. This is, this is, this is not good news. This is no good news at all. And what astonishes Paul is that for this different gospel, which is no gospel... They have deserted the one who gives the true gospel, Jesus Christ, our Father who who gave his only Son for us to give us eternal life and and forgive us of all our sins. They've deserted him and that gospel for something which isn't even a gospel. There's an illustration that Jeremiah uses which is mightily helpful here. Jeremiah says this about the Israelites in the Old Testament. 
Be appalled at this. Or you could say, I'm astonished at this, you heavens. And shudder with great horror, declares the Lord. My people have committed two sins. They have forsaken me, the spring of living water, and have dug their own cisterns, broken cisterns, that cannot hold water. Astonishing. People have swapped a never-ending spring that always satisfies and doesn't even need to, to be dug. There's no work involved. It's there for a cistern that they have to dig for, which doesn't even hold water. I mean, it, isn't it ridiculous? And for these leaky cisterns, they've become a turncoat to the God who has rescued them from slavery. Astonishing, right? Astonishing. And we might be saying, yeah, how ridiculous. Why, why would you dig for a cistern that doesn't even work when there's a living spring, a spring of living water right there? And we might be astonished until we see how easily we can be the same, right? Because there are many different gospels that are no gospel at all that we can desert our God for. So for example, and we hear these things in our world all the time, we can desert the true gospel for the no gospel at all of making, uh, having people happy with us all the time. Fame. Even in the, the, the school playground or the workplace or even at church, your gospel is I want everyone to be pleased with me and happy with me. And I will desert God in order to make people happy. Or people have abandoned God and deserted him for the God of, of sex. I'm going to fulfill my desires. You know, this is who I am. I can't help it. I'm going to abandon the gospel because I think that, that the good news really is that I can live in however I want to identify. Or there's the, the, God, the prosperity gospel. You know, God wants you to be rich. That's good, isn't it? Good news. You can be rich. Or there's the, the gospel of, of, of me first. You know, the, I'll be, I'll be, it's truly good news if I just look after myself, not worry about anybody else. I've got to look after me first. That's a false gospel, isn't it? We hear all the time. Or the gospel of comfort or ease. Heaven forbid I should ever be uncomfortable because uncomfortable uh, always means that, that, that it's always really bad. The good news is that I'm always, always comfortable and at ease. And in order to, to be comfortable, in order to look after me first, even in order to gain prosperity, to have everyone like me, I will desert the God of the true gospel to a gospel which we will find is no gospel at all. Some are willing to be a turncoat and go after those gospels. And every single one of us Christians will be and are tempted with the same thing, aren't we? Does the devil never come knocking at your door? And say, you know what, I've got another gospel for you here. 
The gospel that Jesus has given, it's not quite enough, is it? He comes knocking on my door sometimes. And perhaps some of you here this evening are considering deserting even now. When Paul says here, deserting, it's in the present tense. In other words, it's happening, but it's not over yet. He's writing to them because there is hope. And maybe some of you here this evening are looking at some other gospel, some other thing that you think will fulfill you, and you're thinking about turning away from Jesus to follow after that. What can I say to you tonight? If you are thinking about deserting Jesus for anything else, please don't do that. Please speak to another Christian right away and seek their help and their prayer. Because whatever you're intending to go to will never satisfy and provide what Jesus does. It is a broken system that will never hold water. It is no gospel at all And it will only ever result in God's judgment. Don't desert Jesus. I plead with you. Speak to somebody if you're thinking about doing that. But why do you think the Galatians were deserting? What made these churches change so quickly? Well, it was because, secondly... They were troubled by a distorted gospel. In the second half of verse 7, Paul believes that evidently some people are throwing you into confusion and are trying to pervert the gospel of Christ. The only reason, Paul says, that you, you would consider this must be that some people have come in and are telling you a different gospel to what I've told you. And we'll see that Paul is right. That is why they are deserting. Some people are false teachers. And they've come in and they do two things. They confuse the Galatians and they pervert the gospel. So first, they, the Galatians are confused. The word for confuse means to stir up. It's a bit like... Um, uh, putting a bunch of stuff in your, in your washing machine and turning it on and then trying to see that one pair of, of sock or, or socks or whatever is in there and it's going around and it's mixed in with everything else. That's what, what Paul kind of means with that word stir up. It's to, to throw everything in and, and mix it all around. And what the false teachers have done is they've come in and they've, they've mixed in falsities into people's minds which have muddled them. And they're confused. The same tactic was used by the serpent in the Garden of Eden when he said to Eve, did God really say? That's the same kind of tactic that's being used here. We see this today when people preach, blog, or tweet words which put doubt into our minds about what the scriptures are really teaching. And often these words contain some element of truth And so it confuses our minds and we're wondering what is true and what is not. Uh, The Jehovah Witnesses are really good at this, by the way. When they come and they speak to you, their their teaching contains elements of truth. They can sound Christian, 
And so people can be confused and think that they are Christian and, well, maybe they, maybe they have got the gospel when it's no gospel at all what they're preaching. And sadly, some professing Christian leaders do the same thing today. I had an experience of this quite recently. Uh, one of the big areas in, um, uh, in our day uh, that people attack the scriptures on is the Christian sexual ethic. Uh, and many Christian, Christian leaders uh, are wanting to be uh, compassionate to people who identify as homosexual by saying things like, well, when the Bible says homosexuality, it doesn't really mean the same kind of relationships we see today. Uh, what it means is pedophilia. And I had a conversation with someone in my family recently about this. My family aren't Christians. And so they come to me and say, well, um, the, the, I spoke to this Christian and they, they've said to me that uh, homosexuality in the Bible is, is pedophilia. What, what do you think about that, Steve? And I explained, that's not what the Bible teaches. That Actually, the Bible has a better story than that. The Bible teaches that the way that we flourish as humanity is to submit to God in his ways and that's the way that, that, that God has designed us to be. That's how we flourish. And I was angry with that so-called Christian because my family need the gospel. They need the gospel. Even if that gospel is offensive, they need the gospel. They don't need a false gospel which has some element of truth, i.e., yes, isn't you know, Jesus is compassionate? Of course Jesus is compassionate, but the, the compassionate and loving thing is to tell people the truth, not to peddle a false gospel. And so Paul was right to be angry here when people come in and they peddle a false gospel, which is no gospel at all, and confuses people's minds because people who get confused like that can end up deserting the true gospel. So the Galatians were, were confused. Brothers and sisters, be wary, watch out for these kinds of things that come up on your Twitter feeds and, and uh, whatever else you, you, you look at and read. Be wary. But secondly, these false teachers perverted the gospel. Notice the end of verse 7. They are trying to pervert the gospel of Christ. To, to pervert means to reverse or change to the opposite or to twist into something different. It's a bit like um, uh, when, when we were children, we sometimes would find it funny in, in living in Devon uh, to change road signs to point a different direction or, or footpath signs to, to go a different way. I guess none of you all did that kind of thing, but we thought it was funny, and then we'd watch people go the wrong way down, down the road. Uh, and in, in fact, in the, before the Second World War, uh, when people thought that the German invasion was imminent, which it was, and they thought it was going to be successful, which it wasn't, many people in Devon especially changed the road signs on purpose because when they thought, well, when the Germans come, they won't be able to find our village if they won't see the signs. Well, that change or twisting and, and perverting is exactly what Paul is talking about here. It's, it's, a, it's, it's troublemakers, like I was as a child, uh, in our culture, pointing people in the wrong direction. And so that's what's going on with these false teachers. They are 
perverting the gospel by making people go a different way or making the gospel point away from Christ, which is no gospel at all. So how can we, before we move on to the next point, tell uh, the true from the false? What, what can we do to not be confused and to recognize the perversions that point us in a different way? Well, here's five uh, kind of uh, tips which I think are helpful. Uh, first of all, uh, know the gospel, know it well. Uh, so memorize verses 3 to 5 of Galatians 1, but re- read the gospels. Read uh, so that you know how to explain the gospel. So when someone comes and says something which doesn't ring true, you'll know the gospel well enough to know that that thing is, is just wrong. That's a perversion. Read your Bibles. Read them regularly. Know them well. As we read our Bibles more and more, we grow in our understanding and we'll be able to recognize what is not true Scripture. Know uh, your church history. Uh, There's no real new doctrine that comes out. Everything is really, well, I would say from the Garden of Eden onwards. Uh, There's no new doctrine. Read what's happened in the past. See what Christians have done before us. Uh, Look at the messenger. Examine him or her. You know, what are they like? What's their lifestyle like? And then finally, and this is probably what I would say do most of all. Well, actually, I'll probably say read the Bible most of all. But but come and ask a Christian from your local church that you know and that you trust. And say, you know, someone was telling me this the other day. Or I I read this. What, what, What do you think about it? And then as brothers and sisters, we can help each other to, to, to work out what is true. Let's help one another so that we aren't confused and we don't follow a perverted gospel, but we stick true to the true gospel of Jesus Christ. The gospel we've read last week is, is, is grace and peace. Confusion is the opposite to peace, isn't it? We're not supposed to be walking around confused but we're supposed to be walking around confident in what Jesus has done. So Paul is astonished with the Galatians. But what we're going to see now is that he's angry with the false teachers. Angry. So, so far we've seen that they're turning to a different gospel. They're troubled by a distorted gospel. But thirdly, Paul threatens them with a divine curse. Now, verses 8 and 9 are one of the harshest statements in the whole of the New Testament. Twice, Paul pronounces a divine curse on anyone who preaches a gospel that is not the true gospel. And the Greek word for curse here is one that might be familiar to some of you. It is anathema. It literally means to be devoted to destruction. And it comes from the Old Testament, especially uh, the book of Joshua. Let me read you uh, Joshua chapter 6, verses 17 and 18. This is when the Israelites are going into Jericho. And God says, the city and all that is in it are to be devoted to the Lord. Only Rahab the prostitute and all who are with her in her house shall be spared because she hid the spies we sent. But keep away from the devoted things so that you will not bring about your own destruction by taking any of them. Otherwise, you will make the camp of Israel liable to destruction and bring trouble on it. 
Here, that word devoted to the Lord means it will be destroyed by him. It cannot be redeemed or saved. And the same language is used here for those who are teaching a gospel that is different to the one Paul preached, a gospel that is no gospel at all. Literally, Paul is saying they are damned to hell. That's what Paul is saying. You are damned to hell if you preach a different gospel to the gospel I'm preaching. It is one of the harshest statements in the New Testament, but it's powerful because he's not messing about because this is serious. This is a serious, serious issue. And in fact, he's in agreement with Jesus Christ who says if anyone causes one of these little ones, those who believe in me, to stumble, it would be better for them to have a large millstone hung round their neck and to be drowned in the depths of the sea. Woe to the world because of the things that cause people to stumble. Such things must come, but woe to the person through whom they come. You see, Jesus says effectively the same thing as Paul. Teaching a different gospel is a very, very, very serious error indeed, isn't it? Very serious. But note, Paul includes himself in this curse here. He says, uh, but even if we, even if we, that includes himself, should preach a gospel other than the one we preach to you, let them be under God's curse. And I would say that includes me. And anyone else who preaches from here, I, I, I am right to say, if I should preach a gospel other than the one that Paul preaches here, let me be under God's curse. Paul says, even if an angel came, if an angel came, they'd be under God's curse. You might think, well, it'd be amazing if an angel came. And, and so it would. It's, it, angels don't, by the way, preach. God gives that responsibility to, to us. But even if an angel did come and they're preaching another gospel, the angel might look like it's from God, but it wouldn't be from God. In fact, Paul says in 2 Corinthians chapter 11 and verse 14 that Satan himself masquerades as an angel of light. Uh, some words from John Stott um, are helpful in this. It's quite a long quote and quite small, so you might just need to listen if you can't read it. But John Stott says, All who reject the apostolic gospel, no matter who they may be, are themselves to be rejected. They may appear as an angel from heaven. In this case, we are to prefer apostles to angels. We are not to be dazzled, as many people are, by the person, gifts, or office of teachers in the church. They may come to us with great dignity, authority, and scholarship. They may be bishops or archbishops, university professors, or even the Pope himself. But if they bring a gospel other than the gospel preached by the apostles and recorded in the New Testament, they are to be rejected. We judge them by the gospel. We do not judge the gospel by them. And I would say, from this church, you judge us by the gospel we preach we do not divert from the true gospel of Jesus Christ. Don't listen to false gospels. And the only true gospel is the one, Paul says, we preached to you. And that is 
Salvation is by grace alone, through faith alone, in Christ alone, to the glory of God alone. It's the gospel of verses 3 to 5. Jesus Christ has given himself for our sins to rescue us from the present evil age. And in verse 9, Paul emphasizes this point. He says, as we have already said. Now he may be referring to verse 8, as I've just said in verse 8, or he may be referring to what he had told them when he had recently been there at the church. But verse 8 is saying the only gospel is the one that was preached by the apostles. And the difference in verse 9 is saying the only gospel was the one that you accepted from my preaching. And Paul's saying if anyone, if anyone at all preaches another gospel, a gospel that's not what the apostles preached, a gospel that's not what they accepted from Paul, if anyone preaches another gospel, they are under God's curse. They are damned to hell. They are devoted to destruction. And so we also, we must take very, very seriously the teaching of God's word in our church, don't we? In fact, last week we looked, didn't we, on Sunday morning, the first core commitment of our church is faithfulness to God's word. And it's a core commitment because it's this serious, isn't it? Uh, next year we, we celebrate our 50th anniversary of uh, Pelsall Evangelical Church. We, we thank God for 50 years of faithfulness to the apostolic gospel. And we must be careful that we remain faithful in the years ahead. So when you have opportunity to teach, whether that be preaching here, whether that be in Sunday school, whether that be with the young people, whether that be leading your home group, take seriously the responsibility you have to preach the gospel. It's not a platform for you to perform. There is a gospel for you to proclaim. Take seriously. Prepare to preach. It's a serious thing. Take seriously the responsibility to know the gospel so that you can clearly explain the gospel to others. Let's be praying as a church that God would protect us. Let's pray that God would equip us to teach well. Let us pray that God would open our eyes to counterfeits. Let's pray for new believers that they wouldn't be deceived and desert the gospel. Let's pray for people that have been believers for many years and Satan still knocks on their door and tells them there's a better way than Jesus. Let's pray that they would not be deceived also. And let's be wary of false teachers who these days you won't necessarily find from your pulpit at your local church, but you will find on your social media feeds and on YouTube. They're all over the place. Let's warn one another when we hear confusing words from counterfeit preachers peddling a false gospel. And this is so important because there is only one gospel. There is no other gospel. There is one gospel that will rescue us from this present evil age. 
And so as we close, we're going to end by reminding each other again of that true gospel by reading together uh, the verse that I'm wanting us to memorize, or verses, Galatians 1, uh, 3 to 5. So what we're going to do is uh, just stand together and we're going to read this uh, verse or these verses together. And then we're going to sing, uh, what can wash away my sin? And the answer, nothing but the blood of Jesus. Nothing but the blood of Jesus. That's the gospel, isn't it? That's what we believe. So we're going we're to say the gospel together as you read Galatians 1. Then we're going to sing the gospel together. Then I'm going to pray and then we're going to sing again, because we need, we need to sing the gospel, don't we? So let's stand, and let's together proclaim Galatians chapter 1, verses 3 to 5, and then we'll remain standing uh, to sing. Grace and peace to you from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ, who gave himself for our sins to rescue us from the present evil age, according to the will of our God and Father, to whom be glory forever and ever. Amen.